Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Monday, March 21st, 2022. Today's podcast is a departure from my usual technology-focused segments. Given the ongoing crisis in Ukraine, I'm going to focus this special edition podcast on what two people are doing to make a difference during this difficult time for the proud and brave people of Ukraine. I'm joined today by Ella Leary and Erin Weiner, who have teamed up together to launch a Fundly-based appeal for donations dubbed, and I hope I pronounce this properly, Dobra Prezoda, which means good adventure in English. I'm gratified to have both Erin and Ella on the podcast to discuss their thoughts about the Ukrainian crisis, their, interact, their interactions with, their fam, with families, and individuals who have been impacted by the senseless humanitarian crisis, and how this charitable fund will be, uh, um, is really targeted for helping those individuals. Ella and Erin, good afternoon, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mark. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Glad you guys could make time. Erin, welcome to the podcast. Um, you know, what I normally like to do, uh, and, you know, it, I think it's terrific that you uh, do folks are, are doing this. You know, there are obviously um, tens of thousands of people that are trying to help in their own special way, you know, make a difference um, during this crazy, crazy, um, and I'm being very polite when I use the word crazy, uh, crisis that's going on in Europe right now. And what I like to do uh, is before I even get into some of the topics I want to raise uh, about this, about your involvement and your the engagement in this um, uh, charitable fund that you've set up. I'd like to talk to, uh, about your background. So let me bring up some slides here. There we go. And Ella, tell me a little bit about your background and why you, you know, why your background has really made a contribution uh, to why you've gotten involved with this um, uh, fund that you've set up. Of course. Thank you, Mike. I think I was born in Poland. That's probably the biggest point. And I lived there for over 20 years of my like, first 20 years of my life before I moved to England to study where I lived for 20 years and now I'm based in the US. So I feel you know, very connected with what's happening on a deeply personal level, of course. Mm -hmm. My friends and family are in Poland, I have Ukrainian friends and I had to come up with a way to help our people despite the big distance and with the technology of today, we are very lucky to be able to do that. Well, it, it's absolutely unbelievable. There seems to be a very special bond for a bunch of whole uh, culture and eth uh, ethnic reasons mm -hmm. between the Polish and the uh, Ukrainians. It, re it really is amazing when you, when you I, I think the number, I could be wrong, I think they've already absorbed, what, 3.3 million uh, people? Or it's, a, it's uh, a huge number. It is, at, the, at this official number at this point is 2.1 million. Uh, okay. Poland alone, yes. Uh, we expect the number to rise three million by the end of this week. Uh, so, so these are the latest. I have official numbers when you don't really know <laughs> if it's if that's what it is or if it's more. It's so it's changing so fast. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's more or less. Yeah, you're right. That's kind of the total thing. Well, I mean, 3 million, 3.1 million, 3 million, that's a big, big number. When you consider the population of uh, Ukraine is, what, 40 million, if I'm not mistaken? So yeah, it's 44 like, million, 
and the capital of Poland, Warsaw, is 1.8 million. So right. we yeah. have at this point, as Poland alone, accepted, you know, over the number of the population of the, our capital. So it's over 2 million at this point, within two weeks. Well, Erin, well, let me flip this over to you because you know you're a um, you have an accomplished career as a uh, as a speech language pathologist. I've known you actually for uh, quite a bit of time, and um, you know when you called me and asked me to see if I would help with this, I was obviously more than happy to uh, jump into this. But uh, give us a little bit about your background and you know um, you know why this uh, fund is so compelling and why this whole thing was so engaging for you to get personally involved. Well, um, Mark, I grew up, uh, as you know, I was very close with my grandparents. Uh, my grandparents are from Poland, and being Jewish, uh, they went through World War II. And so uh, growing up, I spent a lot of time with them and their friends, and uh, they always said never again. And they made me promise not to let anything like this happen ever again. So now that I'm seeing such an atrocity again, and it turns out that uh, everyone is actually, they were, they were fleeing Poland and now people are fleeing to Poland, uh, I feel a need to get involved. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's absolutely terrifying. And I think it's just, it's, it's just unbelievable that I never thought I would see this happen. So, um, yeah, I, I absolutely just can't sit back and watch. Well, you, you know, what's amazing about that, you know, being a bit of a student of history, Erin, as you know, is that mm -hmm. I, I think our, the, our generation and maybe the couple of generations before it, I think that would find a lot to agree with, with your statement about you know, in, their life, in our lifetimes, we'd never see, thought we'd see anything like this. Now, unlike Europe and Poland has gone through have got, has gone through a situation like this many, many times in its history. So this is not new. And I think they have tremendous sympathy for the Ukrainian people. And they just kind of see, okay, it's almost like a rinse and repeat type of thing. And, and there's just this overwhelming mm -hmm. desire, not just in, 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 in Poland, but in the bordering countries nearby as well. But not, nothing to the, degree, uh, to the degree that Poland has been um, uh, outstretched with helping, uh, helping hands to try to see if we can, uh, see if we can somehow guide these poor refugees through this crazy uh, crisis. But uh, no, I, I agree, Erin, this has been um, it's something unprecedented. Um, I think it's a situation that no one seems to know where this is going to end, which is really the scary part of it. But uh, let's, let's get into some topics that I do want to address and get each of your thoughts on. As I bring the next slide up here, not that one. There we go. So, you know, let me start with you, Ella. You know, the... Um, you know, why is this crisis itself, you know, different from other catastrophes? I mean, we have catastrophes in the world all the time. There's hurricanes, there's earthquakes, there's lots of man-made stuff. But this seems a lot different because the word that comes back that, you know, frequently um, I discuss with people is that it's so completely needless and unnecessary. You know, there are things that are acts of God, and then there are things that are acts of men. And, uh, but let me get your perspective and why is this particular crisis hitting home for you and why is it so different from other crises that we've had let's say in the last you know 20 years or so i i think this is as i mentioned previously deeply personal for me um i think any crisis is hard to 
said why the wars are different. I think no war should exist ever, especially in 21st century. Uh, we have learned, I think, enough from the past. I thought we are a lot wiser not to repeat the mistakes we've made um, and the atrocities that have been, you know, taking place for, for centuries. So it, there's an aspect of shock. Uh, of course, it's deeply personal. It's personal in a way that, you know, Ukraine and Poland, Lithuania and all these countries, we were one at some point. And for me, it's deeply personal. I know there is, we can discuss on many different levels, but I would say personal is, it's something that make it most different to me at this point. And why I got involved so deeply, because it affects our neighbors, affects our family. Of course, Polish people are scared for Ukrainian people. We are afraid for Poland as well. Um, so it's deeply personal for me. So, Ella, the, the one additional question I have before I, I, I'd like to get Ellen's response on this, but um, mm -hmm. there are so many people, that, and this is the thing that I, I'm taken back by, and I suspect I would probably, and many Americans would react the same way if this happened over here, is that there was such a level of unbelievable uh, unbelievability that this would actually happen. Mm -hmm. Many, many people stayed until the last moment, until the actual invasion and the fire, you know, the the, the 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 firing of missiles and mortars and tanks, and you know, I, you know, there was a lot of people that really did believe that th this could not happen, even despite the fact that the Russians have been massing troops around uh, uh, around Ukraine. I don't know whether it's maybe a Pollyanna, you know, opt you know, an overly optimistic view that that Putin wouldn't pull the trigger on this. But um, how do you explain that? You know, why people would wait until the last possible moment? before they left their homes. And I know that's a very hard decision to leave your homes, but can you comment on that aspect of the uh, crisis? Of, of course. Um, I think there are various reasons for different people uh, that I've been in contact with within Ukraine. There is a very strong aspect of, this is my home, this is my country, and I'm gonna defend it. Uh, we have women, men delivering the women and children to the Polish border, and then go back to fight. And then we have mm. women, a lot of women, which is so brave of all of them. I'm gonna try not to get emotional here, although it's hard. They deliver the children across the border to Poland and they hand the children to safe hands and they go back to fight. I think it's not, just a fight for their country, but I think it's also a fight for the freedom of the world and Europe. It's fighting what we've been through and we don't want to go there again. So the brave people of Ukraine actually take on that task. So another reason, many, I think there's a lot of propaganda uh, mm -hmm. anywhere on, on the news, social media. I think we are affected by it all over the world, America, Ukraine, Poland. Russia to different degrees. Uh, so I think, you know, a lot of people don't know who to believe anymore. There's been a lot of lies all over the world. And I think people found themselves, it's easier to distance yourself from information. And hence, I think a lot of people can be in such a shock. Uh, right. 
I think this is part of it, where people find I don't no longer know who to listen to, who gives me the right information, uh, and that includes myself and a lot of people I've spoken to. When they, not that they want naive, they just choose. I'm just going to live my life, do my things, take care of my family and work, and I'm not going to listen to anyone. And hopefully, right. just going to fix itself, and then one day I can tune back in and know that there is someone trustworthy who tells us as it. Uh, right. There is a lot of aspects of elderly who are no longer uh, available or want to travel during such time. And the families have very hard decisions to make. And I'm dealing with this, whether, whether to leave them behind or stay. So th th there is there's just so many complex situations. It's never, it's just never, they don't want to, you know, you imagine a wife, a child, and the wife doesn't want to leave her husband. Or oh, it's they a have a Yeah. Or they it's have a son who's 18 years old. Yeah, and a man, there's a military, uh, there's a law in Ukraine. If you're a man between the age of 18 to 60 and you are able, you must remain in a country and fight. Right. And a lot of women, whether mothers or wives or sisters choose to stay. And I think for a lot of people it can be hard to understand, but we all work different, we all process our emotion and the situation differently, so we respect everyone's decision. So there's, it's just so many layers, the situation. No, there's so many moving pieces. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and Aaron, um, Aaron, Ella, you know, uh, brought up an interesting, uh, uh, dimension of this issue, and it's a technology issue, in that you know a, a lot of people obviously decry social media for some of the excesses of social media, which we won't go into because that could be a five-hour podcast. But one of the benefits I think of social media is that you know um, despots like uh, Putin haven't been able to successfully clamp down on 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 what he calls misinformation, which is not misinformation. Because of social media. I mean, if you didn't have social media, you know, if you didn't have Facebook, if you didn't have Twitter, I mean, a, a guy like Putin would be able to pull something like that. Well, I don't know if he'd be able to pull it off militarily. That still obviously really remains to be seen. But certainly from the way he messages it to the Russian people and to other um, people within Ukraine, you'd be able to manipulate uh, the flow of information much more dramatically um, without mm -hmm. social media. So, Aaron, can you comment on that perspective? Does that interest you <laughs> at all? Uh, no, I think it's, I, I think it's uh, fascinating. I think um, we have these groups uh, like Anonymous who are able to go in and uh, spread the word. And it's been ex extremely helpful. Uh, we do have a lot of people that are brainwashed. And uh, so there's not much we can do about that. But for the people that want the news and want to hear what's going on, I think um, it, it's great that we are able to um, get them the information through modern technology. Um, so, yeah, in that sense, I think it's... Uh, it's fantastic that we're able to work around that. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it's a double-edged sword mm. because then he's able to come in and put bots onto 
you know, the sites and and cause disturbances. I believe he did a um, a deep fake um, and uh, and had uh, the mayor of uh, Kiev tell everyone to yeah. surrender and it was taken yeah. down. So it's it, it's just I think it's the new form of uh, warfare. Oh, yeah. No, no um, question about it. No question about it. But I think he's losing that battle. Honestly, I think he's losing that battle because it, it's he's he's in a situation where he's in a no win, no win position. And, and, you know, the interesting thing to me is that, you know, when, when this happened that weekend, um, you know, I really thought it would really drive a wedge into NATO. I think the United States wasn't going to be as as forthright as it is. I think it could do more. But that's a that's a that's a different discussion. But I mean, I don't think Putin was uh, prepared at all for the response of the West and the response of, of, of uh, many, um, if not all uh, the countries in Western Europe and the way they've kind of vigorously responded uh, to this threat. Let's hit the next topic here. And that is, as it comes up on the screen, you know, Ella, again, let me start, start with, you know, because this really hits home for you, obviously. Why is it so important that the world help the Ukrainians? I mean, why does it matter to the average American? You know, the average American right now has, a lot in its own plate. We've got rising gas prices. We've got inflation that's out of control. We've got other issues in this country. And I'm not trying to obviously sound um, dismissive, but, you know, again, why should we care? Why should America care about what's going on in Ukraine right now? I think, you know, the world has become a small place. Um, we are, I think as a world, we need to learn that we are, Always, whatever crisis, we are so interconnected, we just can't deny this. Yes, our economies, our people, there's Ukrainian community in US that for, you know, however long have been contributing to the American economy. And I think it's just a humane thing to do. I think this is, you know, I, I speak to my American friends all over US. They are in utter shock and disbelief at what's happening and i think just on a humane level we just have to be there for each other i think the world the whole world you know we just came out us europe came out been coming out of COVID, and i think we're in the same boat we are in the same boat and i think it's important to recognize that we're the same people just on a different um you know part of the planet, <laughs> a piece of land, yes. And, Absolutely. And I really think our economies and we're so interconnected. Yes. If anyone wants to have a look at that, that, that aspect of it, yes. But I think the most important is we're talking mostly of women and children and we have to stand up against a bully and a tyrant mm -hmm. and we all have to do it together because if we don't, we will give permission to others to do this. Mm. Yes, no, I agree. And in my I mean, country, US, we can't say US, it's, you know, it's safe that way. Uh, this is like, it spreads like cancer, you know? If we don't stop, we need to be together and stop at the core when it happens. It doesn't matter where it happens because right. it just crosses the border, crosses the border, and it's going to get closer and closer to us. So 
I did not think this will happen in 21st century in Europe. And just like we didn't think COVID would happen, uh, we just don't know, if we don't stick together, we just don't know what, mm -hmm. what's going to happen next. And we have to stick together. Mark, I, I, have to I believe, sorry, Mark, I believe we need to keep democracy alive. Mm. And if we don't, who's next? Yes. And it's like a domino effect. And so uh, we are we are supposed to be, you know, the great United States of America. And if we don't help others keep democracy alive, um, how are, how is it going to survive? We need to help other countries keep democracy alive. Uh, who's next? What's going to happen in Taiwan? I mean, what what's going to happen? around the rest of the world. We need to make sure that democracy is alive. Um, no, I agree. No, I, I, I agree with those thoughts, Aaron. And, you know, the interesting thing, you know, history, unfortunately, you know, you heard this phrase before, it tends to repeat itself. And, you know, could you imagine what, how history might have been different back in the late 1930s had the Allies stopped Hitler um, uh, after he invaded the Sudetenlands and just pretty much mm -hmm. took it over, and he invited Czechoslovakia. And you know, there were you know the the the, um, the, 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 the problem, not the problem, but the interesting thing about that analogy is that the world was still smarting from the after effects of World War One. I. I mean, World War One had only ended in 1919, and World War One was a terrible, terrible war. And I think there was just there really wasn't any stomach for war and Hitler and the uh, the Axis powers, mm -hmm. but chiefly Hitler time, uh, took advantage of that. He knew that the, the West wasn't really willing to put up a fight. But, ha, you know, had they stopped Hitler then, th there still would have been a war, but probably would have been dramatically less awful than what World War II kind of, um, uh, you know, kind of evolved into. Now, we have nuclear, there's nuclear weapons here. And, it's, you know, can you imagine Hitler with nuclear weapons? That's, an that's another podcast. But I think the point you're making, Aaron, is right, is that America does have a responsibility to make sure that it facilitates democratic ideals, you know, around the world. And, uh, you know, again, that does not necessarily mean launching, getting into a preemptive uh, nuclear strike with Russia, but there are things that we can do, uh, uh, even more things that we can do to arm Ukraine and make sure that they're properly prepared um, as much as they possibly can be to uh, defend themselves. Let okay. us hit the next topic here. So, um, before you move on, I just want yeah, to mention yeah. No democracy has lasted for more than 200 years, and we're right about, you know, 200 years. So we need to really make sure that we make this work. I agree. I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, the brain um, is part you know, of democratic, that. Democratic principles are sometimes hard to defend. You know, I mean, sometimes it's not convenient uh, to defend them. But I think this is one of those moments where. Uh, you know, the America and the world has to respond and rise to the occasion. Ella, talk to me, just give me a couple of examples of personal experiences, because obviously you're talking to folks here all the time. You know, you've got relatives, friends over there in Ukraine. Um, it's to me, it's amazing seeing people FaceTime from Kiev and other cities in, in Ukraine, like a, with a war going on. I mean, that just blows my mm. mind. But give me a couple of um, just maybe one or two stories that you might want to share with the audience? Um, 
what kind of story would you like to hear? <laughs> yeah, personal stories of folks you've talked to recently, yeah. because I know you talk to folks all the time. Any stories? Mary Paul, uh, I was contacted. I don't want to mention names for security reasons, of course. Uh, we have a girl, Ukrainian in New York, her mother, sister, and aunt were stuck in Maripol. Uh, we had no contact with them for 10 days. Last we know what we knew. We have more information. They were hiding in the basement of the building. They managed to move to bomb shelter with about 300 people. And just three days ago, in the middle of the night, they managed to escape Maripol and called the contact from New York, the family, uh, from middle of nowhere, so village, not knowing where they are. And now we're organizing a rescue mission to get them out of the area. Uh, either, either somewhere safe in Ukraine or Poland, because we're having secure situation where people have been hiding for two weeks or 10 days in bomb shelter, and they actually are not connected with everything that's happening. So we have a lot of people, women and children, of course, that we rescued and delivered to Poland, where, you know, we're finding them housing, jobs, uh, but we're seeing, you know, children crying after dads, uh, some women at night well, and along to connect with the fathers on the phone. You know, we, we try to remain positive because we know the cell reception in Ukraine, especially around Mariupol, is almost non-existent. So it's a lot of it's a lot of hope. It's a lot of heartbreak. It moves everything moves very fast. Um, but there's a lot of separation. There's a lot of the, the each wave we see, the more PTSD we see PTSD. Um, it's it's just getting a lot harder on everyone involved, for all the Ukrainian people, on the rescue mission people, and yeah, it's it's difficult. Erin, let, let me ask you a question because I know you saw you have you've had relatives over there. You've you know obviously have a personal stake in this as well. The question I get asked all the time is, can you imagine? If someone said to you, you know, you've been living in your house your whole life, you've got minutes to get out, take whatever you can on your back, you know, you may not have a car, you may not even have motorized uh, transportation, and leave at a moment's notice and just head toward Poland, some, one of the other neighboring countries that are, are absorbing folks. But I can't imagine the just the psychological dislocation that must have for people. I just can't imagine that because, you know, even if you're... You know, even if you know, we live in a modern society, these people have money in the bank and they have, you know, digital um, assets that they can still hold on to. There's keepsakes and there's belongings and there's things that, you know, you're, you're going to probably not be able to return to. So do you have any thoughts on that aspect of the crisis and just the fact that the people are just getting asked at a moment's notice, say, hey, you got to get out of here? Well, uh, so it is something I've thought of because it's what my grandparents and all of their close friends went through. And I just met a wonderful woman in her 60s who is actually mm -hmm. living in my building now. She came here from Ukraine and we had the most wonderful discussion. Um, 
and she reminded me a lot of my grandparents and their friends. Uh, she's living with her daughter and her daughter's fiance. Uh, she came here with nothing but a suitcase. Uh, she lost her husband a few years back and her dog died a few years ago. Um, she is, she feels like she's very fortunate to be here. Um, but very much like my grandparents and their friends, uh, she has survivor's guilt and right. she, she feels terribly guilty that she's in a good place and everyone back there is suffering. And so, um, it's a very, it's just a very tough situation for her and people may say, oh, well, she's fine. She's here and she's living in a beautiful place and, you know, uh, she's going to be just fine, but it's the mental anguish and then knowing yeah. that everyone else is suffering, that is, uh, so, so difficult for her. And, um, so it's, you know, we were talking and she said, as we were talking, it just kind of occurred to her. She said, you know, I still have the keys to my apartment. Mm -hmm. Realizing that Not she's never going back. Right. And it was such a moment where we just, you know, what, what can you say, you know? No. What can you well, say to that? And keep in mind, you know, Americans don't know, have never had this feeling. The only conflict we've ever had here that displaced people, and it was relatively temporary, was during the Civil War. I mean, there were families uprooted and there was loss of life on both mm -hmm. sides. Um, and, you know, the country experienced a warlike uh, mentality in their backyards. But again, that was how many years ago? <laughs> you know, almost 150 years ago. So, the bottom line is that America is not the, the, sometimes has a hard time wrapping its head around the fact that all of a sudden, you know, your life can get displaced like that. So that's that's a wonderful example that even if you get displaced and you're safe, the psychological impact of you leaving your home and your belongings and everything you knew and loved, you may never be able to see it again. So that's really an incredible story. Um, you know, the. Um, Real quick question, and I want to get to the uh, to to the the fund itself. Ella, what are you looking to accomplish with this fund? You know, there's a lot of great funds out there that people are contributing money to, but you know, what message would you like to impart to the audience? Why they should make they should take a few dollars and make a donation to the specific fund that you've set up. So we've been on the ground since since day one. It started as a one bus with donations going to the border and picking up 60 women and children to bring my friends in Poland in the city of Piwa. And they thought it's going to end at this, they're going to do it. But once they saw what's happening and they connected directly with the people, uh, we got on the phone and decided to organize it because, of course, for three weeks, we had no help from the government uh, or, or European Union. So we... Our mission is to save as many women and children, elderly and pets uh, that have been affected by the war and bring them to safety in Poland. I'm going to extend on this point now because we are running out of housing in Poland. So from this week, uh, today and on Wednesday, we already established relationship with Switzerland, 
uh, Italy and Spain, and we're in talks with other countries. So we will be delivering the displaced families that are willing to leave Poland as well, because a lot of them want to stay to be close to Ukraine. So we're driving them to Switzerland, where they have secure housing, uh, work opportunities. They're going to be fully taken care of, yes? We don't drive anyone just to drop them off somewhere. We make sure each bus that we pick up the women, children, elderly, and pets, that each bus and the hour care drives to places when they have full care. We don't just drop mm -hmm. them off, leave them, yes? Right. So we know they safe hands. We now uh, donated a bus and supporting a really brave group of Polish and Ukrainian drivers who drive three buses. One of them is from our foundation, uh, evacuating people from Kiev to Lvov. Because as previously mentioned, a lot of people do not want to leave Ukraine. There is about 10 million Ukrainians that are displaced within the country and they still want to stay in Ukraine, just in a safe part of the country. So we want to respect the people as well and help them. Okay. And of course, we help once in our hometown, we have about two, two and a half thousand at this point refugees. So of course, we help them with housing, uh, basic needs like clothing, uh, language classes. We have a lady that has a hairdressing skills, so we invested $250 in hairdressing equipment, so she's already given 30 haircuts. Uh, women are amazing, they're alone with children, but they want to help. They want to get going, they want to work, they want to do something to pay back as well. So we mm. need a plenty of money Number one, it's really to take care of these women and children in Poland and rent them apartments and houses long term. Right. And number two, petrol. Because the cost of petrol, a bus, it's about petrol alone. It's $600 just to drive from, through Poland to the border and back, just the petrol. Uh, just to give you an example. Go check to Switzerland. The bus is leaving today from Warsaw. It will cost about three and a half thousand dollars. Just the petrol and the cost. Most of the time, the drivers volunteer the time, but we're seeing more and more people. They have families to take care of. Yes, uh, they can't just drive for free for nearly a month now. So we're beginning. We have to pay them. You know, some of them, and we need to run it. Uh, which is, we need drivers, whether we pay them or they can volunteer. So the costs are, are astronomical. They're getting higher and higher. Poland is prepared to house one million refugees uh, without, uh, you know, our health system, schooling system, housing system collapsing. But as we spoke earlier, we already have over 2.1 2 million refugees in Poland. And we're feeling the effects of it. So with your help and small fund like ours, quite a lot of them, because we didn't have the big organizations, we, are, we react very quickly. We get a phone call and can you be at the border? It takes six hours drive from where we are. Can you be there in eight hours or tonight? And we are able to say yes and go.
when we have the funds and we have funds and we need more, so we please ask you uh, to continue supporting us. Being a small group, we are able to respond very quickly. Uh, to give you an example, we got a call on Saturday, uh, a smaller border forgotten. We have eight crossings that have been designated for the rescue mission. One of them gets forgotten because it's smaller and people arrive and there was no water, no food. We were there within eight hours. I delivered a big wow. van with food, whatever they needed. And now we committed that we, to this particular border over the next 14 days, we're gonna send 35 big vans, yes? Full of, of what they need. So Great. being small, we can act very quickly and go directly to the problem. So, Aaron, um, you know, there's this wonderful sustainability um, attribute that seems to be really a big part of this um, effort that you're championing. Anything to add to um, Ella's comments? Well, I think she covered everything. Um, <laughs> we really, I mean, the bottom line is we just want to make sure that we are picking people up, getting them out of Ukraine taking them where they have housing and making sure that they have jobs and that they're going to be well taken care of. Um, right. We're not just picking people up and dropping people off. We really, really do want to take care of them properly. And I think that's, right. that's why I chose to work with her um, and uh, to work with this company. I really wanted to make sure that um, if I was going to spend my time, it was going to be with a group of people who were really truly making a, a difference, um, so I'm I'm uh, I'm really happy to be working with them. Well, you, both of you are doing some wonderful work, and uh, you know, as we kind of conclude the podcast, let me make sure that people see the um, the place where you can go. There's the URL at the bottom. Uh, you're fully it's fully tax exempt. That's wonderful. Always nice to have a tax advantage. Yes. Uh, that's great. It's a nonprofit organization, and I know the site. The your your site is up uh, as of I think it was up as of Friday, but I, I looked at it this morning and it was up as well. And I, yes. what, what's your goal, uh, Ella? How much do you, are you looking to raise? Do you have uh, a number? We've we've been raising through PayPal um, as well before this, so I think we're looking probably at fifty thousand through GoFundMe. Because the costs are, like I told you, that just each bus going to Switzerland is three and a half thousand dollars. Of course, it's forty-eight hours trip. Pretty much, we have to. You, you have to think of people traveling from Ukraine and going through Poland on a bus going to Switzerland, Spain, which is the other side of Europe. We have to stop on the way, uh, create one stop. Uh, accommodation for the group, of course, would be cost effective and try to find three hotels uh, that will offer housing for the night. Yes, so unfortunately, the numbers are getting astronomical now, and we're still not getting help from the government, no European Union in that aspect. So, anything you can donate to us, everything adds up, and we are very grateful for your attention that you listen to us and that you want to support us. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you Aaron, very you much. Any, Aaron, do you have any closing comments? 
Um, I just wanted to thank you for having us today so we could spread the word and um, really appreciate you for having us on. Well, thank you, Aaron. Thank you. And thank you, Ella, for everything you guys are doing. You know, there's a lot of people that always talk a good game about, you know, making a difference and doing things. But uh, that number gets smaller when you actually ask people, well, what are you actually doing um, to make a difference? Mm -hmm. And I think this is really a, a terrific effort on your part. So, again, thanks for taking the time to join me for today's podcast. For a viewing and listening audience, thanks for making the Smart Tech Check podcast part of your day or your commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe. <clears throat> Excuse me. Make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Mark Vina Tech Guy. And until next time, have a great weekend. Ella and Aaron, thank you very much. Thank you, Mark, so much for having us. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Bye-bye.